We've been talking the last few weeks about those things that limit us from God, those things that can kind of limit our relationships. We talked about anger. We talked about communication or more importantly, the lack thereof last week. And today I want to talk to you about conflict and about how, how much that if we don't pay attention to this, it can really bring destruction in our lives. It can limit us from being close with one another. It can limit us from being close in the presence of God. And so we're going to find out. I'm going to read to you from Romans chapter 7 today. And this is the portion of scripture that talks about that struggle between uh, the two natures, right? Here, here's what it says in verse 14. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am of flesh, sold into bondage to sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand, for I am not practicing what I would like to do. But I'm doing the very thing I hate. But if I do the very thing I don't want to do, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. So now no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. Have you ever been there? (laughs) For the good that I want, I do not do. But I practice the very evil that I do not want. But if I'm doing the very thing I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells within me. Now, here's the thing. If you read that verse too quick, it sounds more like Sister Susie sells seashells by a seashore. What did it just say? You know, it's just like, I want to do, but I don't, and I don't, but I do. And that's pretty much what it boils down to. But when it comes to conflict in our life, here's the reality. We can never avoid conflicts. You're always going to face conflict And the challenge is to be a lifelong learner. That's the goal. Uh, A man by the name of Dr. Giorgio Cano, he was the founder of judo. He left instructions that when he died, he should be buried wearing his white belt, not with a black belt. He wanted to show ensuing generations that even though one might be the highest ranking black belt in the world, one must always be a learner. My prayer for you today as we talk about conflict is maybe the Holy Spirit's going to speak to you about some conflict you're going through. If you're here today and life's perfect, never had a day's problem in your life, well, it's coming, okay? You just have to wait long enough. And all of a sudden, these things pop up. How do we deal with this? How do we navigate these situations? And it starts with becoming a lifelong learner. Uh, one of the things that I, I always try to do, I've learned to do this, is to say, Lord, I want to be a lifelong learner. Now, that sounds good, doesn't it? I mean, that sounds really good. That sounds healthy. That sounds maybe even spiritual. But the reality is, that means if I'm committing to be a lifelong learner, that means that I have to take responsibility when I mess up. And I'm going to mess up. It's going to happen. It happens to all of us. But are we willing to learn? When conflict shows up, do we handle conflict in healthy ways? Or do we allow it to tear us apart? Because it doesn't matter how long you've been in ministry, how long you've been in marriage, how long you've been in business. When we continue to learn, part of that process is being open to correction. If I were to put a sign-up sheet out and say, anybody that would love to be corrected, sign up on this sheet. Well, no one's going to sign that. Nobody really loves correction. We don't mind correcting, but a lot of times we don't like correction. But today's successful businessmen and women, uh, successful marriages, successful relationships are not the ones that never face challenges or problems. No, it's the ones that decide to learn in the midst of their crisis 
or the ones that are going through challenges and learn to navigate that season well. See, life's problems are going to be less about the problem and more about how we navigate that season or that problem that we're going through. I've said it before, but when we face conflict in life, 90% of your outcome, uh, 90% is going to be determined by how you respond to the conflict. 10% is only the conflict. But how you respond to conflict is going to determine a lot of things. It's going to determine how much conflict you will remain in or continue to face. Um, None of us, as I've said already, like conflict. None of us enjoy confrontation, or at least some of us might, but really, we overall don't really like it, and we don't enjoy it. No, conflict is usually seen as one of those things that we try to avoid. Um, It's one of those things that we, we try to hide from, maybe, for some of us. Maybe Maybe for some of us, it's something that we fear. I, I, I don't want to say that. I don't want to do that. I don't want to tell them they're wrong. I don't want to speak up because I'm afraid that it'll create some conflicts. But there's two general responses when it comes to conflict, and here they are, and you can write them down. Fight or flight, right? When you're facing conflict in life, we tend to do one of the two, and that is fight or, or flight. We run. Um, Two men were in the woods, and as they were walking through the woods, they came upon a bear. And they knew they couldn't outrun the bear, so one gentleman took off his backpack, started to put on his tennis shoes. A man without the tennis shoes says, what are you doing? Do you seriously think you can outrun a bear? He said, nope, I only have to outrun you, right? (laughs) He was going to run in the midst of his conflict. And there's a lot of times that when we face conflict, we don't always know what to do, so we do one or the under, one or the other. We handle conflict in various ways, but the most common ways are, are those two, fight or flight. We're either going to fight to the death because we want to be right, or we want to win, but the problem is, is we've destroyed our relationship along the way. It's either that or, or when faced with conflict, we run, forest, run, right? We just choo, take off. We just try to get, a, get away from it. We avoid it like the plague. We play hide and seek with it, we hide and hope conflict will never seek us out. But no matter how much you hide, have you discovered conflict always seems to find you? It just always does. See, neither response is good. Sure, there's, there's times when we need to fight, but you've got to fight for the right thing. If you're fighting just to win, if you're fighting just because you want to prove a point, then all you're going to do is create a lot of uh, chaos within the relationship so that you can say, I'm right, but everyone else is, is injured in the process. You know? Or you can always run, but the problem is, is you can't build good, strong, healthy relationships when you're always running away from things. And so the Bible has something to teach us about dealing with these crises in our life or this conflict in our lives when we, when we face this and how we should respond to it. Because a lot of times when we think of conflict, we think of big things. Uh, you know, I'm going through a marital problem. I'm facing divorce. You know, that's boom. That's a big thing. Um, uh, the, the bank called and said they're going to take the house away if we can't pay the mortgage. Boom, that's a big thing. Uh, you know, I might end up losing my job over this. I'm not sure what's going to happen. Boom, that's a big thing. But though those are big, obvious things, a lot of times it's in the small things where we sometimes forget to pay attention. Isn't it true that when facing conflict, it, it's usually not the big events that you see as the source of conflict. It's the little things. It's the little things in life. They've been piling up and they lead to this place of conflict. 
Check this out. There was a, a study that was done on survivors. Uh, notice was given to the fact that we should never overlook the minor things in life that we face because sometimes these small problems um, are the very ones that destroy our life. In 1912, when the Titanic hit an iceberg and sunk, many precious lives were, were uh, lost that day. It was April 4th. However, there was one gentleman by the name of James Crutch. He was one of the few survivors of this horrific tragedy, and he was able to escape on one of the lifeboats. The same man, while in the Navy, three years later, was aboard the USS Lusitania when a German submarine fired a torpedo at it. He escaped death for a second time in the middle of the ocean. He was a man who survived huge obstacles. One day, however, he slipped in a creek next to his house, hit his head, and drowned in one foot of water. Sad but true story. You know, we would, Titanic, everyone knows Titanic. He could tell his war story, that's huge. But the fact that a man, something little is what took him up. Another man, James Berkeley, he was a hunter of man-eating tigers, lions, and bears. Oh my, right? He went out and he did all this hunting and you would have thought he would have been torn to pieces or died at the hands of some kind of vicious animal. No, he died after being scratched by a barnyard cat that became infected and eventually led to his death. Charles Blondin, I've shared stories about him, the tightrope walker that would go over Niagara Falls and he'd take the wheelbarrow across and he'd go back and forth and he just, uh, uh, amazing feats. Anyone here afraid of heights? You're not a fan of them? Yeah, me either. The fact that he would even want to do this just because he's bored or something like that, I thought, that's incredible. Surely this guy, if he's going to die, it's going to be because of some huge thing like you know, he was slingshotted into the, into the river or something like that. Nope, that's not what he died from. He died from tripping over a doormat at home, and he fractured his leg. Complications developed because of that, and he died a year later. What's my point in sharing all this? Well, it's amazing how people can uh, overcome these large things in life, but it's the little things that can take you out if you're not careful. And one of those things that, I'm not really trying to call it little, but one of the things that can take you out is our inability to handle conflict in healthy ways. Or maybe better said, like in the title, unresolved conflict. You're going to face conflict. Uh, it's going to happen. But when you choose not to resolve the conflict that's going on inside of you, it begins to bring destruction in your life. And when that happens, it creates a barrier between you and the ones you love. It creates a barrier between you and the God that you love. Not because God's not there for you, but he can't be there like he needs to be because we're clinging to unresolved conflict more than we are clinging to Jesus. And so this is one of those things that can create just a distance within our lives. And too many times we're fighting the little fires here and there, but we're not addressing the source. Anyone here ever play the game whack-a-mole? You know what I'm talking about? Little groundhog dude that keeps popping his head in. Wham, wham, wham. You're tired by the end of that, right? And you paid for that experience and probably didn't do very good if you were like me. But sometimes we feel like that's what life is like. We're always putting out these little fires here and there. A uh, true story of a lady that was visiting a church, and oh, she was part of a church. She went up to the, to the front after service and asked the pastor to pray for her. And he said, sure, how, how can I pray for you? She said, well, I just need some clarity in life. I say, well, I, it's almost just like there's cobwebs. Just I, just I want you to pray that God would just clear out the cobwebs. So he's like, okay. 
And he prayed, Jesus, clear out the cobwebs, amen. She left. She come back next week. She came up to the front and said, would you pray for me, pastor? Sure, what's going on? Just again, the cobwebs, you know, I just really, that God would clear out the cobwebs. He's like, oh, okay, um, we'll pray again. And he did it. Third week, she comes up, pray for the cobwebs, you know, that God would remove them. Fourth week, she comes up, pastor, I want you to pray. And of course, he's thinking, here we go again, cobwebs. And she goes, yeah, just pray. Would you clean up the cobwebs? And he stopped and said, how about we quit cleaning up the cobwebs and we kill the spider? And she said, I never thought of that. You see, many times in life, when it comes to unresolved conflict, we can get so distracted and busy doing all this little stuff when we need to address the source. So my question for you is maybe you felt like there's cobwebs that needed to be cleaned in life. But my question is, is what's the spider that you need to kill? The thing that keeps feeding that anger or bitterness or that thing that just keeps fueling the chaos in life or if there's any unresolved conflict, what's the step that you and I need to take? Because not only are we to deal with with just the symptoms of unresolved conflict, we must deal with the source of it as well if we're going to be successful. So what is unresolved conflict? Well, it can show up in many different ways. Maybe, uh, maybe you both, your husband and wife, you have extremely busy days, you know, and it's just packed and boom, we need to hit the ground running. But all of a sudden, husband takes off and has wife's keys in his pocket he doesn't notice it till he's 20 miles away. All of a sudden, she can't get to work. Guess what? Conflict can arise in that setting. Uh, maybe one of you is the spender in the family, and maybe the other one's so tight with money they can make the buffalo on a nickel scream, right? Conflicts can arise in the middle of that. Maybe you've been putting off work, and now you put it off so long you're losing uh, clients and customers, conflict will arise in the middle of that. Maybe it's, maybe it's like my daughter who, when she was doing her homework, obviously my daughter's, <laughs> she's 20-something years old now and has, has a child, but I remember back in second or third grade, she, my daughter's very clever, okay? Very smart, just wise that way. My, my son is book smart, my daughter is street smart, right? And so she come home one day with her homework and it was math, and she knows that I like math. I'm not claiming to be the sharpest crayon in the box when it comes to math, but second and third grade math, got it, right? But the math they teach now in high school, I don't even know where to begin. But she came home that day and she said, hey, dad, I'm really stuck on something and I'm wondering if you can help me with this. And I said, absolutely. It's what I'm here for. Let me work my magic and do my dad thing. You know, I was having, having fun. And so what's the problem? And she said, right here, look at problem number one. And I looked at it and I said, yeah. I said, what? What is it you're stuck on? I, I don't get it. I don't understand this. They said, well, you just got to do this over here. You bring this number over there, carry the one, bring it down. Boom, there's your answer. And she went, wow. She goes, you're really good at this, Dad. And I said, well, thank you. She goes, how would you do the next one? <laughs> See, you're catching on quicker than I did. And I said, well, let's take a look at it. Here's number two. Same principle, different numbers. They moved them a little. So you got to do this. You got to do that over there. And, uh, you know, just move that around. And, and there you go. There you go. And she goes, you are so good at this, Dad. I can't believe it. How did you get so smart? And I'm like, well, you know, feeling pretty good about myself. She goes, how would you do number three? And then I was like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I said, you're... I see what you're doing here. Me? What? I'm not doing anything, Dad. I'm just a humble daughter asking for help from her father. You know, street smart, right? So she's trying to manipulate me into getting her work done and doing it for her. And I said, 
honey, I can't, I can't do your math for you. I, I, I can't. That's not the way that it works. And she's like, oh, but dad, you're so good at it. You're so smart, you know. And I said, okay, you have got to do the work. I said, honey, I can do your homework for you. And you might get A's and B's because it's still third grade math, you know. But Drea, you won't learn anything if I do your work for you, if your mom and I do your work. If your mom and I, uh, we love you enough that we're going to make you do the homework so that you learn for yourself. And even though it's painful and kind of tough, you'll learn to solve it. But it's going to take some time right now. So could we do her homework for her? Well, we could technically, you know, we're capable. We, we, we can do it, but what would be the best for her? Well, the best thing for her would be for her to do her own homework. It's the only way she's going to learn. And it's the same thing that God speaks to us when you're going through conflict. You've got to do your homework. You can't rely on your mom or your dad. You can't rely on a sp- I'm not saying you can't get wisdom from them. I'm not saying you can't ask for help. I'm saying that when you're going through uh, specifically conflict in your life where you need to hear from God, then you better go do your homework. Get into his presence. God, what do you have to say? What's the next step I'm supposed to take? Because you need to know that you're hearing God in the midst of that. What a wonderful world it would be if all we had to do in life's difficulties is just throw them before the Lord. And he says, don't worry about it. I'll take care of it. But he says, no, I will walk with you through those seasons of conflict. Because the truth is this, God's already there. Amen? Okay. He's already provided the way. If God's leading you into a season and conflict is staring you in the face, God's already gone before you and paved the way. He's just giving you the green light to start walking the road. And when we hit conflict, we think we heard God wrong. Or, or, or it, maybe I shouldn't have gone down this path. When in reality, he says, no, I've already paved the road. It, it's all set. It's just, we need to walk together. We need to walk together. But Lord, don't you see all the problems? Yep, saw them, dealt with them, got it. But you got to do the homework. So if you're here today and you're going through points of conflict in your life, know this, God's got your back. And he's going to lead you through this. You know, sometimes the reason for conflict that we're facing in life could be because it's intentional, you know, like when we speak words to one another that are hurtful. Sometimes it's unintentional. Uh, somebody says something and, and you wonder, what, what did they mean? And then there's times when the conflict we face in life is self-inflicted. What I mean by that is simply this. These are the, by the way, these are the worst and most dangerous ones, the self-inflicting uh, wounds of conflict. This is when somebody says something or does something, whether intentional or unintentional, and we take that, what they said, and add meaning to it. This is dangerous. For example, someone could say, you're going to get a real job? And all of a sudden, we're thinking in our heads, now this goes real fast, Right? And, and we keep thinking about it, but we think, well, what, what do they mean by that? Do they think that I should be working at a better job or something like that? What do they mean by that? Were they just trying to have fun with me because they're, they, they like me and they know me and they were just trying to be funny? Are they jealous? I mean, are they jealous of the job I have or don't have? Or, or oh my gosh, do they know something I don't know? And all of a sudden, we start going down this rabbit trail of this self-inflicted chaos. You know, the list can go on and on. And if we're not careful, we can end up doing this to ourselves. So... Don't add meaning to what someone else or something else has happened or someone said that never intended to have extra meaning to it. So what do we do? 
I want to do this. I'm going to give you five things when, when unresolved conflict is in your life, what it does to us. And then I'm going to give us five things that we can use as tools to overcome when we feel conflict in our life. When unresolved conflict is in our life, here's the first thing that happens. Number one, it robs me of peace. When I say me, I mean you. I mean us. We. It robs us of peace. How many people like peace? Well, we'd all put our hands up. Because the opposite is what? Chaos? You know, we all, we all want peace. And when we have unresolved conflict in our life, it robs us of peace. The reality is we all want it, some peace, some more than others. Um, you may say, well, pastor, what better reason to, to try and avoid it and run from conflict? I don't want to be robbed of peace, so I, I, I should just avoid it, right? Well, let me answer that question with a question. Do you really think that by avoiding conflict, you're going to be at peace? No. It's not going to happen. That's why we must learn to deal with this in a proper way. And we'll talk more about this in a little while. But the Bible says this, John chapter 14, verse 27. It tells us, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. You want peace, but he says, the peace I give you is my peace. It's God's, God's peace. Not the way the world does. That means when the creditors are calling or your spouse is, you're in an argument or some kind of a conflict, or you've said something you wish you could take back. Have you ever been there? There's times I've said things that I wish I could reel it back in, but I can't. And just because these things have happened doesn't mean that God doesn't show up. It's not like God says, don't worry about it. It's okay. I'll just make it disappear. It's in those moments where he says, I want you to be a lifelong learner. I want you to learn from this where you're at right now. The Bible actually says that, it, that we are going to face trials and tribulations. Isn't that great news, right? We don't get too excited about that. But he already told us, he said, though you face it, be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. But you and I have to make sure that we get to the place that we understand when we don't deal with unresolved conflict, First of all, it starts to rob us of our peace. And then secondly, we become defensive. It starts with losing our, you know, robs us of our peace. And then we become defensive. Isn't it true? When conflict shows up, we can become defensive. Why does that happen? Well, when thinking about sports, it's been said your best offense is a good defense, but that doesn't work out in relationships. It just doesn't. When conflict shows up, we can tend to get defensive because we feel like we're being attacked personally. And it's, it's only our human nature that reacts and wants to fight, it wants to defend. But when we continue to do this and not correct that conflict, it leads to number three, bitterness will set in. Bitterness will set in. Um... Even when I say, you know, you become bitter, maybe somebody comes to your mind of somebody, you know, that's holding on to that bitterness, or maybe you remember a time when you were bitter. Yeah, be careful of that because it destroys you from the inside out. Proverbs 14.10 says, the heart knows its own bitterness and a stranger does not share its joy. When, in other words, when you've lost his peace and you become defensive, if uncorrected, bitterness will start to set in, uh, settle in and it will harden your heart. It will harden your heart. Maybe you found yourself in a place where, you know, you've had this hardness in your heart. You've become bitter about something. 
Or you become bitter about someone, something they did. Maybe, maybe you've lost somebody that you love, or maybe you're feeling angry. If you're not careful, bitterness will try to settle in and start to rule your life. You see, it's, you, know, you know what's there, bitterness. You know, you know what's there. You just don't know what to do with it. And if bitterness is not taken care of, then it leads to number four, I start to be resentful. I start to be resentful. To be resentful is to just feel or express annoyance or, or ill will. Um, resentment can get very ugly because resentment is one of those things that we think other people have a problem with. But the truth is because we haven't taken time to take care of the bitterness and the defensiveness within our own hearts, then all of a sudden resent, re, resentment starts to settle into ours. We've got to be very careful. Resentment, all it really is, is it's when that bitterness is set so long that we start to get snarky with our words and with people. We start to get sarcastic with one another, and we start saying words that cut others, and it hurts them. And we're doing that, maybe even unbeknownst to how sharp the knife is, the tongue is, but it's because we're hurting inside. We're going through this conflict, this unresolved conflict that we don't know what to do with. I've always said sarcasm is like a low-grade fever, but I call it a, a low-grade anger. Uh, sarcasm, anytime. Now, don't get me wrong. I, I, lo I love sarcasm. I'm kind of sarcastic. You know, you can be funny. You can ha-ha and have some fun. But then there's those people that live there. They make sarcasm their mailing address. And whenever anybody does that, it's an indicator to me that they have this low-grade anger that's going on in their life, and they're unwilling to deal with it. So they project it on everyone else because they don't want to take responsibility. That's not the way that God intended us to live life to the fullest. When he said, I come to give you life and life to the fullest, he didn't mean to just get through or to just get by. He wanted to give the fullness. But we have to, in these moments of conflict, be willing to come to a place and, and work that through. And we're going to get to that in just a moment. But if we're not careful in resentment, we allow that and keep that in our life, it leads us to number five. We're limited in our maturity and growth. Just boom, that's it. We become limited. And this is what we've been talking about, the things that limit us in our relationship with God. They keep distance between the ones that we love and the God that we love. We don't mature. We don't grow. It doesn't mean that we're not good Christians. It just means that we're allowing unresolved conflict to remain as priority number one in our life. So how can you and I achieve resolve? If you're, I, I'm, I've got conflict in my life, uh, whether resolved or unresolved. What do I do? What do I do with it? What do I do about it? Number one, it starts here. Realize relationships are a gift, not a burden. I know that sounds simple, but I want you to catch this because it's easy to say, but I want you to really wrap your mind around this. Realize relationships are a gift, not a burden not a burden. Now, I know you might find that a little hard to believe. Maybe you're saying, you don't, know, you don't know my husband, you don't know my wife. No, I don't, and I don't need you to tell me. All I need you to know is that whoever God has placed in your life, they are a gift, not a burden. But you've not been in our home, Pastor. Okay, maybe not, but I know this, that whoever you have in your life is a gift, not a burden. You know that husband that's sitting right next to you, the same one that leaves the toilet seat up and can't remember to put it down? He is a gift, not a burden. That wife that sits next to you that starts four to five sentences or stories and doesn't finish them till 20 minutes later, she is a gift, not a burden. 
your roommates that college people have, and they've got to share dorm bathrooms with one another. They are a gift, not a burden. The children that you have, that you raise, they are a gift. They're not a burden. And this is where it has to start if you want to resolve conflict in your life. Yet we find ourselves treating those relationships as burdens. And he says, no, they're gifts. You've got to see them the way that God sees them. See them for what they are. He says that they are not burdens in your life. They are gifts, and it starts there. If you, want, if you want to resolve any conflict in your life, whoever it is you're having conflict with, start with remembering they are a gift. Because usually when we get mad at one another and we get irritated at one another, I don't automatically think about what a gift that person is. I'm looking for my return receipt. That's what I'm doing, you know, because I think I'm right. And, and i got to change my thinking. You and I, we have to change our thinking in that. And when you do that, you start to see things from God's perspective. It doesn't mean you have all the answers. It doesn't mean it's fixed yet. But that's where you start with realizing that relationships are a gift, not a burden. And then number two, realize you may have placed some unreal expectations on yourself and maybe even on others. When you realize that you're dealing with some un, uh, unresolved conflict, realize people are a gift, not a burden, and then realize you may have placed an unreal expectation on self and others. You see, there's a difference. We all expect certain things in life, but sometimes we have these unspoken expectations. When you come to church, you expect that we are going to worship. You expect that there is going to be a sermon. Uh, let me make it even more simple. When you go to the dinner table, what do you expect to find there? Dinner, food, you know, you expect that. If you like my kids when they were young and wanted money, they say, why don't you just pull up to that magic box at the bank that shoots money out? You know, their expectation was, that's what those machines are for. Just pull up there and they just give you money. They didn't realize the whole concept that you have to put money in it to get money out of it. Sometimes we have all these expectations. There's, there's expectations every day, but sometimes we have these unreal expectations. I should do better. I should have been smarter. I should have seen that coming. I should have known better. And sometimes conflict arises because we place these expectations on ourselves and others, and it, it's like it's a spark, like a trigger that just ignites something within our, in our life. Maybe you expected better of yourself. Let's say you took a test, and uh, you know, I know there's some people here today that just, um, you, you want all A's, right? You, you're smart, you study hard, you expect all A's. So let's say you take a test, and when you get the test back, you got a B, and you are disturbed by that. You are upset by that. You're frustrated because I had the expectation that I would get an A, and you lose all of the joy in the fact that you got a B. It might as well have been an F, because you have this ginormous expectation of yourself. And you see what we do is we burden ourselves when we do that and place that on ourselves. We do that when we place that upon others. And we've got to be very careful or that will create more conflict. Just realize maybe we put too big of an expectation. And then number three, ask God to search your heart. Ask him to search your heart. I love David in the Bible. I think it's because I can identify with him in so many areas. Usually the mistakes, but I see how someone like David can do what I, I, I'm blown away by how David did what he did, the good, the bad, the ugly, 
And still, he's known as a man after God's own heart. Um, how can we experience that in our lives? Well, David understood this key. Lord, search my heart. He asked, he gave God permission to search his heart. Look in Psalms 26. It says, Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity. I have trusted uh, in the Lord without wavering. Examine me, O Lord. Try me. Test my mind and my heart. He says, test my thinking. Test the motives of my heart. He gave God permission. You see, it's about the motive of your heart. David started with his walk of integrity and the trust that he placed in the Lord. And then he said, now search my heart and see if there be any way in me. Uh, Psalms chapter 139. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. Notice what it didn't say. It didn't say, search my heart, try my ways, let me know if there's anything wrong in there, and then I'll decide what I want to do. You know, it didn't say that. It said, show me what's in there and lead me in the right way. Lead me in the everlasting way. Lead me in a way that brings me to this place of resolving conflicts within my life. Psalm 69 says that the humble have seen it and are glad. Here's, when you come to a place of conflict and you come before the Lord and you humble your heart, he will show you what it is you need to see. When you're stuck, when you're in conflict, when chaos is ensuing, you're trying to do everything you can to fix it. And that's when God says, slow down, stop, get in my presence and humble your heart. And we don't get that. What do you mean stop? I can't stop. This thing's going crazy. We got to, this is in real time. We got to go. And he says, no, come and humble your heart. And when you do, he says, I will show you what you need to see. He will tell you what you need to know. But we must be willing to come with a humble heart and ask God to search our hearts. Psalm 69, the humble have seen it and are glad. You who seek God, let your heart revive. Let your heart revive. The humble see it and then they are glad because of it. So ask God to search your heart. And then number four, write this down, decide between right or wise. When you're going through a time of conflict, decide, do I want to be right more than I am wise? Or do I want to be more wise than I am right? This is a fun one, okay? Because when you get into an argument with anybody, and I'm sure nobody here ever has any arguments, but you know, other people do. And, uh, but, but when we get into arguments, what's the one thing we want to do in the midst of the argument? We usually, we want to win the argument. We want to be right in, in, the, in the argument. But my question for you today is, do you really want to fight so much for the right to be right or to be wise? Sometimes we will fight the fight and forget why we're even fighting. Have you ever done that? You get in an argument, something trips a trigger, and I, I'm just using us as an example, and, and she catches me on a bad day, and I'm kind of grumpy, and because I'm grumpy, she thinks I'm mad at her, and now she's got a bad response, and I don't know what her problem is, so I'm going to turn up the volume on my grumpiness, and all of a sudden, it starts to snowball, and we argue and fight, and then at the end of the day, we're like, what were we even fighting about? We're like, I don't know, but I want to win. And that's kind of the way our, our, our nature is. That's why we have to say, Holy Spirit, what do you say? And he says, make a choice today. Instead of always having to be right, maybe ask for wisdom from above. 
Because the problem is in the midst of our wanting to win or prove that we're right, uh, we'll hurt the ones that we love the most. Are we going to choose wisdom? Here's something I'd like you to do. If you've got a pen and paper, write down Proverbs chapter 8. Okay? Write down Proverbs chapter 8. And whether you do this or not, it's going to be between you and God. I'm going to ask you to read Proverbs chapter 8 at least once this week. I think you could read it once a day. Proverbs chapter 8, it's not, all those Proverbs are pretty simple to, to read, but I, I, I'm going to refer to it a little. But it says, Blessed is the man who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting at my doorpost. For he who finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord, but he who sins against me injures himself. Uh, all those who hate me love death. Now, when I used to read this scripture, I... I made an assumption that whenever it said me, and you can, you can look at it in your Bible or you can look at it later, whenever it said me in the scripture, I, I assumed it was talking about God, but it's not. It's talking about wisdom. So let me reread what I just said to you. Blessed is the man who listens to me, wisdom, watching daily at my wisdom gates, waiting at my wisdom doorpost. For he who finds me, wisdom, finds life and obtains favor from the Lord, but he who sins against me, wisdom, injures himself. And all those who hate me, wisdom, love death. See, now it takes on a whole new, I'm like, that changes so much for me. Wisdom is a choice. We have to choose it. Take a look at Proverbs 8 this week. Read that, and you'll see that it says that when wisdom does speak and you choose wisdom in the midst of all of your conflicts, it says that wisdom will speak noble things. You ever wanted to speak nobly? Let me put it this way. You ever wanted to sound smarter than you really were? That's wisdom. And it says when you lean in and choose wisdom, it will give you the, the, the noble things. Wisdom will reveal right things. You ever want to know what's the right thing to do? Wisdom says that it will reveal that to you. Wisdom will speak truth. Wisdom will speak righteousness. Uh, it says that there's nothing crooked or perverted with wisdom. And it says, I, wisdom, am more precious than gold and silver. It's more valuable than anything else. And I don't know about you, but when facing conflict, I'd rather choose wisdom than being right. I know it's easier said than done, but that's why we've got to be a lifelong learner. And then the last one is this. This is an important, I, I try to mention this one at least once a year, but you and I need to find a lightning rod of wisdom. Now, for some of you, you're, you're like, I remember you talking about this, but I'm going to do a little refresher. You and I, as sons and daughters of God, need to find a lightning rod uh, when it comes to dealing with life. And that's this. In, in our homes, you know what a lightning rod is, right? You, you put them in your homes and it's, it sticks up in the air. And the whole purpose and the goal of a lightning rod is that when the storm comes and the electricity is just brewing in the air and lightning's getting ready to strike and all of a sudden, boom, and when it aims down towards the ground and it's coming near your house, the job of the lightning rod is to take all of that energy and ground it so it saves your house. You see, without a lightning rod, that lightning, that storm could potentially destroy your home. You and I, when going through life, need a lightning rod. We need somebody in our life that when all of the tension in the world and the electricity is taking place, you're frustrated, irritated, it just life is a mess and I don't know what to do. That's when you go to your lightning rod. Now, I know you might be saying, well, how do I find a lightning rod? 
you've got to find somebody that loves God first and then you second. It has to be in that order. can't be the other way. They love you and they love God. Well, I know they love me and I know they go to church somewhere. That's irrelevant. Do they love God? Priority number one. It starts there. They love, you, they love God and then they love you enough to tell you the truth, right? So what happens is you're able to be able to, when, when the storm of life happens and everything's going chaotic in your life, you find your lightning rod. I've got a, 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 a lightning rod or two in my life. There are people in my life that I can call up and I can just be real with them. That's what a lightning rod is. So if you go out and look for a lightning rod, please. I mean, I, I preached it. I'm explaining it to you. But if nobody heard this message and you walked up to them and said, hey, would you be a lightning rod in my life? They look at you like you need a, you know, a funny farm room or something like that. So you got to figure out how to word it. Find somebody in your life that you say, hey, I know you love God and, and, and you know, I, my hope is you really love me. Would you be somebody in my life that when my life is going to blow up, I can come and just, I can just spew and you not judge me. See, I've got a friend in my life that is a lightning rod, and I know I can call him up, and I can say it like it is. I can verbally vomit all over him, and I can say it the way I'm thinking it. And that means when I'm shouting out all my words and how crazy this life is and how stupid I think this is, and there might even be a, you know, even if I, a curse word came out, he's not going to judge me because, oh, Pastor Jim Cust, oh my gosh. He's going to just hear me and let me verbally vomit all over him. And then when I'm done, whew, and I stand there, he's going to go, you done? Yeah, I think I'm done. And then he's going to speak life into me. I give him permission to do that. Because I know that I'm feeling this way. And if I, if I don't have somebody that I know loves Jesus and loves me, I'm going to blow up all over my wife. I'm going to blow up at the kids. I'm going to blow up the people in the church. I'm going to blow up at anybody that makes me wait longer than three minutes at McDonald's. You know, I'm going to blow up all over somebody, right? Because that tension just gets in there. You need to find a lightning rod. Somebody who loves Jesus first and then loves you. Uh, another side note, if you're going to go find that lightning rod in your life, guys stick with guys, girls stick with girls. That's a must. No guy should be going and finding a girl and say, hey, you want to be my lightning rod? That's just weird, okay? It's just wrong. Vice versa as well. Because what you do if you try to flip around you open the door to the enemy to try to bring something worse into that. Guys, stick with guys. Women, stick with women. And find a lightning rod in your life because this world's tough enough already. And we need people that'll help us see Jesus in the midst of everything that's going on in our life. Find a lightning rod. Here's the thing about wisdom. What, dealing with uh, unresolved conflict when it comes right down to it, wisdom is a choice that you must make, that I must make. It's not just going to happen to us. We must choose it, the Bible says. When you're faced with conflict, choose wisdom from the Word of God. Make a cho choice. Nothing is going to happen until you choose to make it happen. Being in conflict and wishing and hoping isn't going to get the job done. But not, only, not only that, but when we're mad, irritated, when we're facing conflict when we have a tendency to just sit and fume, that's not going to do it either. Things just fester on the inside. So we must come to a place where here, here, here's the goal, is that we cultivate a correctable heart. Let me read this to you and then we'll be done. Psalms chapter 51. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit 
within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. It starts with saying, Lord, I want nothing less than for you to search my heart and try my ways. Create in me that clean heart. Jesus, what we're asking today is that you would cultivate a correctable heart. Because the more your heart is correctable, the healthier it will be. I want to do this. I want to ask if you just close your eyes with me as we just come to a point of prayer. And I just want to ask, um, I want to pray for us. But maybe you're here today and you've been going through some emotional roller coasters, ups and downs, conflict has has just been in your face. And today you're like, oh my gosh, I'm so glad to know that there's a Savior that has my back through all this. Maybe you're not going through conflict today, but I'll guarantee you this, that it's always going to be there. I want to pray that God would give us wisdom from above to be able to see that which we cannot see. In other words, not just the conflict that's visible, but that we would see the bigger picture. Father, would you give us your eyes? Would you give us a vision that sees beyond what the thing, the trigger is that is setting us off so that we can walk in an understanding, so that, uh, Lord, so that we can walk in wisdom. And Lord, that only comes from you. So Father, I pray today that you give us the ability to see what it is that we can't see in those moments of conflict. Lord, I pray that you give us a, a wisdom from above. It doesn't come from man, but it resides right there with your Holy Spirit. Jesus, I pray today that as we leave this place, that we will understand in a deeper way so that we can be closer with you and closer with those that we love in your name. Amen.